0: All right. I know we've prayed a lot, but let's pray again. Father, we, uh, we want to uh, just ask your blessing upon the Word now. Uh, as Lord, as most of these folks know, this is Scottsdale Bible Church, and we rally around your Word, and we believe it's life to our minds, and our hearts, and our souls, and our very lives. And so as we continue on in our study of 1 John, God, we pray that as Jesus said, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see the truths that you have for us. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're in a series called Getting the Most Out of Your Walk, and it's really the theme of First John. You don't want to miss this. In fact, give me a click here, guys. The theme verses in John, in chapters 1 and chapter 2, are simply this, walk in the light as He is in the light, and then walk in the same manner as He, meaning Jesus, walked. And so that's really what we've been doing over the last six weeks here at our church, is simply exploring what it might look like for you and I to have a walk with Almighty God. Just as we know how to walk physically, as I'm doing right now, we're called to walk with God, and so we're asking ourselves, how do we actually do that? And John, in this little letter of his, is showing us exactly how. And if you've been with us in this series, you know that we've looked at things like this, how to walk honestly, confess our sins to God, how to walk obediently, learning to follow Him, how to walk lovingly, learning to love Him and other people as priorities in our life. And as Dara walked us through even last week, how to walk now truthfully, how to separate truth from error in our world. And today we get to probably one of the most dearest things to my heart as a man of God, and that's how do you walk closely? What does it mean to walk closely with God in such a way that maybe every day is an intimate personal relationship with Him, not just a list of things to do or not do, but a living, vibrant, organic relationship with your Heavenly Father? And the Word of God, the Bible, uses a word, we're going to explore this word in a minute, over and over again, when it talks about you and I walking closely, and it's the word abide. And it's actually our main point this morning here. So look up here on the screen. And that is simply this, that you and I learn to abide, or I'm sorry, the key to walking closely is to learn to abide in Jesus Christ. That's what I'm going to ask you to remember today, that when you think of this idea of walking closely with God, that you would immediately switch gears in your mind and think of this biblical term, abide in Jesus Christ. So look at what verse 28 of First John chapter 2 says to us as we continue on in First John. First John 2 verse 28, he says, And now, little children, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in Him. Focus on two things there. First, focus on the and now, and now. That's simply a summary phrase. You and I use the same phrase like that if we've been saying a bunch of stuff, and then all of a sudden we get to the point where we say, and now, which means here's the main point. And now, based on all that I've said before this, this is what I want you to know as a result of this. And so with all that John's been teaching us, he says, and now abide in him. Abide in him. And what you need to know, folks, is that this term abide is a very rich and powerful biblical term that has literally guided the course of people's walks with God through and down through the ages over the last 2,000 years. Uh, Translated in many of our translations as abide, remain, or continue, it's the Greek word meno. And get this, it appears about 118 times in the New Testament. In other words, it appears a lot there, and yet more than half of the times that it appears in the Old Testament, it's used by John. As one author says, it's his favorite noun. It's his favorite verb. He loves this word abide. Out of 118 times, he uses it 67 times in his gospel and in his letters. And what you need to know is that it. Or this word abide is a relational term. It's a relational term. It simply expresses the idea of a continuing relationship, personal intimate fellowship with the one that you're abiding with. And so it's much more of a being term than it ever is a doing term. I like how Eugene Peterson, the famous author of the Message Translation, says it. He says this word means make your home with Him to make your home with him. So please see more than anything else, abiding simply conveys that on a relational level, you're staying really close to somebody. Where at one point there might have been distance, you're now abiding. You're close. You're there. There's intimacy between you and the one that you're abiding with. You know, a few years ago I was on a uh, study break in the Grand Teton mountain range using a friend of mine's condominium studying the book of First John here, and I decided after four or five days of study that I needed to take a break and go skiing. You can't be in the Grand Tetons in the middle of winter without doing some winter sport and skiing's fun. So on a Sunday while out there I went to the Jackson Hole Mountain Resort and I was going to ski down R- Rendezvous Mountain. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, before, but Rendezvous Mountain is 4,139 vertical feet. Now that's a lot of vertical feet. It's a very high up mountain, and it's very very steep. To put it in perspective, Snowball up in Flagstaff is about 2,300 vertical feet. So double Snowball, and you got Rendezvous Mountain. And I'm not the world's best skier. I enjoy it, but I'm no expert. So I took the tram all the way up to the top of Rendezvous Mountain, and i got to tell you, I had a mild anxiety attack as I was looking down, because I, 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 my thought was this. I thought, what if I can't ski down this mountain? I mean, what if I just can't make it down? I thought, I'm going to have to plant a church up here or something like that. I just thought, this is not going to be a fun scenario. And I eventually did make it down the mountain. They did have like a semi-green run going along the edge there that I made it down. But one of the things that I noticed that kind of blew me away when I was skiing down the mountain that day was that there's an actual entire group of skiers who regularly ski with a severe disability, and they were there that day. They're blind. Can you imagine this? Blind skiers. I saw them there. And what's so fascinating and inspiring is that they, is that they don't let their disability hinder them from doing a sport that I think most of us would agree is pretty dependent on eyesight. I mean, talk about overcoming. And as I was looking at these blind skiers, I thought, how do they actually do that? I mean, how do they ski down 4,000 plus vertical feet on a mountain without using their eyes? And I saw how. And that is with the, skill, uh, with the use of a very skilled and trained guide. In other words, these blind skiers have learned to follow very closely to a trusted and expert guide. And so going down this steep mountain, they used their other senses like hearing and touch to follow follow very closely to the guide ahead of them. For our language today, they abided very closely. And through abiding, they were able to engage in a sport that sighted people have a lot of trouble doing. And so picture them, if you can right now, in your mind's eye or through the screen here. Picture a blind person going down a rugged, snow-covered mountain, staying just a few feet behind their guide, turning where he or she says to turn, listening to them as they give out some warnings to them, and most importantly, staying close enough to follow the guide's every lead. If you can picture that, you can get a picture of what God means by abiding for you and I that we're to stay that close, like a blind skier to his or her guide. We're to stay that close to God, and when we do, we are abiding, we are walking with Him. That's the picture that the Bible gives of how you and I walk close and its awesome value and power when it comes to getting the most out of our walk. Now, up to this point in our discussion here on abiding, many of you might be thinking this, well, Jamie, that sounds great. I mean, I wish that I had a walk That was like that. You make it sound so simple a walk in which closeness is defined as abiding, and all I got to do is abide in Christ. But that's a lot more easier said than done, isn't it? And you're right. It is. I've been a Christian now for almost 30 years, I've been a pastor for about 20, and I got to tell you, every day is a struggle, if not a challenge, for me when it comes to learning this idea of abiding in Christ. And so the question that I want us to wrestle with in our time remaining this morning is how do we abide like this? I mean, how do we relationally abide with somebody that you and I cannot see? Or like our blind brothers and sisters who can somewhat compensate by using their other senses like hearing and touch, how do you and I abide with God when none of our five senses, hearing, seeing, tasting, touching, and feeling, none of them tend to work when it comes to God? In short, how does this abiding thing work? And the good news is, is that because meno, this word abide, is John's favorite verb, he tells us how. I mean, there are multiple things in his gospel, as well as in this epistle that we're looking at, that he shares with us on how you and I can walk close through abiding with Christ. I want to share with you today three of them. Just three things to kind of wet your whistle, to get you thinking about what abiding might look like for your life if you take this idea of walking close seriously at all. And here's the first thing, and that is first and foremost and I mean first and foremost, you must realize that Christ abides in you. You say, what? It's true. That for you to learn to abide in Christ, believe it or not, the starting point that the Bible gives us, that John is going to give us, that Jesus gives us, is that we need to learn to abide in him by realizing first that he abides in us. Let me show you. I want you to look at how John records Jesus teaching us this using that same word abide in chapters 14 and 15 of the Gospel of John. Look up here on the screen. John 14, 20, and then John 15, 4. Jesus says, in that day, meaning the day that Jesus would be resurrected and then give his Holy Spirit to all of his followers, he says, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and that you are in me, and I get this, and I am in you and then skip down to chapter 15 verse 4 he says abide in me and i in you and so focus on those three little words twice repeated i in you and let that sink in a moment jesus christ living in the hearts and the minds the soul of believers who have become followers of himself that's what it's saying here that he abides in you way before you get a chance to respond by abiding in him. He makes his home in you. And some of you might even be thinking right now, well, big whip. I mean, what's so big about the fact that he lives in me and that he's always with me? It is a big deal. In fact, look at how Paul the apostle would go on to communicate the reason for this in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but here it is again, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So don't miss the three operative phrases here. I put it on the screen there in yellow. Christ who lives in me, it is no longer I then who live, and so I live by faith. So he lives in you who believe, so that his life and power, his abiding presence and purpose, might now be the absolute foundation of your ability to abide and walk with him. In other words, he lives in you precisely, folks, so that his life and power might now become your life and power, so that his strength might become your strength to abide. You see, the logic is simply this. God knows that you and I cannot abide in him in our own strength. I mean, even as followers of Jesus, even as highly skilled as you are in your job, in your family, at school, wherever you show your proficiency, he says, you cannot abide in me in your own strength. It's just not going to happen. And for those of us who are honest with ourselves, we've tried it. I've tried it on and off now for 30 years where I've said I think I'm just going to muster up all the energy I can to abide in Christ and I fail miserably. And so cogent New Testament biblical theology comes along and says, no, no, you don't get it. You can't abide in him in your own strength. You need him to abide in you first and then notice that as he's abiding in you, you need to trust the fact that he's abiding in you, that you need to live by faith, as he said, and lean on the fact that he lives in you so that it's his power working in you, not your power working in you. Are you starting to see this at all? The fact that he lives in you, that his presence is always with you, but it doesn't stop there. No, it's his presence with you that you are trusting each moment of each day in your interior life where nobody else sees but you and God, that it's through that kind of activity that you learn to tap into his power that is willing to work in and through you. You see, all of us have learned up to this point in life that there's a big difference between knowing somebody is present with us and trusting in that presence with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? So you can know that you're having lunch or dinner with your spouse and that they're with you, but whether you're going to trust him or her or not is like a whole other deal. And God says it's the same way. That Jesus said His presence is always with us. He's even going to inhabit our very souls. But if you're not willing to trust that, as Paul says, if you're not willing to live by faith, then the reality is is that you're never going to learn to walk with Him and abide with Him in the way that He wants us to. I love how the great 20th century theologian and medical missionary Albert Schweitzer once said it. Look up here on the screen. He says, the truth is, it is not just Jesus as historically known, but Jesus as spiritually arisen within men that is significant for our time and can help it. I love it. Spiritually arisen within men and women. And so here's the deal. Some of us in our faith up to this point have really only believed in Jesus as historically known. We believe that he existed. We believe he died on a cross for our sins and things like that. We believe he rose from the dead. But we haven't really believed and trusted that he lives in me and that his life in me is the foundation for my ability to now abide in him. And so once you get this, folks, it forms the answer to our initial question of how to abide in a God who is unseen. Don't miss this. Through increasing faith in his abiding in you. That's how you learn to abide in him realizing that he lives in you and that he's for you and that his power is at work within you and when you believe this lo and behold you're going to start to abide and so the first and most central key to abiding in christ is to realize he abides in you precisely so that you won't be tempted to trust in you but you'll trust in him and then and only then are you ready for the second key then and only then are you ready to understand once you're in the realm of faith here what the second thing is to abiding that John tells us, and it's simply this. Look up here on the screen, and that is that by faith we carry on a relationship with Jesus that is marked more by being than it is doing. Now we're getting somewhere. By faith, because we're already in the realm of faith right now, he abides in you and you're trusting and His abiding in you, we then realize that we have a relationship with him but not just any relationship, but one that is marked much more by our being with him relationally than it is the things that we might do for him. So look at how Jesus would communicate this to us in John 15, verse 9. I don't think he could be more clear. He says, As a father has loved me, so I have also loved you. Now here's that word again: abide in my love. Abide in my love. Interesting. He didn't say abide by doing a bunch of religious activities that you think will draw yourself close to me. He didn't say that. He didn't say abide by serving like crazy in hopes that I might take notice and call you such a great abider. He didn't say that. He didn't say abide by making sure that you get it right and find a formula of a bunch of do's and don'ts that allow you to perfectly live the Christian life. He didn't say that. You know, he says, abide in my love, my personal relational love that I have for you. Take your interior life, your emotions, your thoughts, your feelings in each moment of each day. Stay close to me. Talk to me. Read about me in, your, in the Word. Rest on me. Even when you don't feel like doing it, abide in me. And again, folks, one of the trappings of our evangelical subculture today, and even America itself, because we're so pragmatic, is that you and I are always tempted to put doing before being. Have you ever found that? But we're always tempted to say, I'm going to do something, and then as I do something, maybe I'll relate to somebody. And God says, no, you got it backwards. If you want to learn to walk close, if you want to learn to abide, begin with the fact that you're a human being, not a human doing. Relate to me as Father, and then out of that... Let's see what flows when it comes to your good works. I like how P.T. Forsyth, a great British theologian, once said it. This is profound. Look up here on the screen. He says, It is possible to be so active in the service of Christ as to forget to love him. Many a man preaches Christ but gets in front of him by the multiplicity of his own works. He says, Christ can do without your works. What he wants is you. Yet if he really has you, he will have all your works and that's the way it is done. It's true. He says, you know what, I'm the God of the universe. I can cause stones to cry out and worship me if I want to. So your works, no thanks. I mean, I'll use them eventually once I have you, but without having you, your good works really don't mean a lot to me. That's what God is saying here. But but the converse is also true, that once He has you, once you learn to walk close and abide in Him, now the things that you're going to do mean something. Because they're empowered by His Spirit. They're usable in the hands of God, who you're submitted to and who you're walking with. Do you see how that works? It's no different with our kids. I mean, we don't want our kids to just do good things and obey the the list on the refrigerator if they don't want to relate to us. That might be nice. They might get the yard work done, but we're not in relationship with them. No, we want our kids to relate to us and to love us as mom and as dad. And then out of that, let's do something together as a family. And God says it's no different, that He wants you and I to wake up every day and instead of saying in our minds, here's what I'm going to do for you today, God, to say, here's how I'm going to relate to you, God, as my heavenly Father. And then from that, let's see what happens. You know, when I was an intern years and years ago at my very first church, a large church like Scottsdale Bible Church, there were 15 of us interning that year. And I'll never forget, as I was very green in the ministry, looking around at these other 15 interns, it didn't take me long to realize that there were really two types of motivated Christians, at least back then and I'm sure today. Half the interns in my intern group would wake up each day, and they were so activistic, they were so uh, driven, that they would wake up every day and they would basically say in their minds, I'm going to do this for God. And they would go out and lead their singles group or whatever. And, and they weren't pagan about it or anything. They would do this in the name of Jesus, and they'd ask Jesus to bless it. And they would usually build some great, wonderful single group at this, singles group at this church that we were all interns at. But then there was another type of intern that was interesting. And this was a type of intern that would wake up every morning, and instead of saying, I'm going to do this for you, God, they would wake up and say, I think I'm going to look to you, God. I'm going to spend some time with you. I'm going to pray to you without an agenda. I'm going to read about you in your word. I'm going to treat my walk with you as an organic relationship that needs to be nurtured. And then let's see what happens out of that. I was one of those kinds of interns. I always have been. I got to tell you, folks, I wasn't raised in the church, as many of you know, and I didn't become a Christian to become an activist, though I'm fairly activist in my faith. I didn't become a Christian to just do a bunch of good works, though I do do some good works. I became a Christian, and I don't miss this, because I wanted to know God. How about you? I I mean, that's why I was drawn to Jesus, because he's a lover of my soul, because he's the one who called me friend, because he said he could bring me to the Father, that I might know him. Those were all the reasons that I initially came into Christianity and came to accept Christ. And yet, as you go along, there's this tendency to get it backwards, that we think by walking close, we'll just serve like crazy. And don't get me wrong, serving is great, and we all should serve. But one, doesn't come, one does become before the other. And knowing Him, walking closely, is what will empower our service. That's what comes first. And so we need to see ourselves as human beings, not as human doings. We're here to relate to God, not just do things for Him. So add up where we've come from here. But we realize that if we're going to abide in Him, we need to realize that He abides in us. And then as we realize He abides in us and we trust Him, we then move on in a relationship with Him that's marked more by being than doing. And then once you get that, you're ready for the third key. And this becomes kind of a safety net for us as we're engaging in all of this relational being stuff. And that's simply this, that then we then get to listen to God and learn about Him, now don't miss this, through His word to us or His words to us, the Bible. So how do you relationally abide in him in such a way that you won't be an accident waiting to happen so that you won't get off the beaten track? You learn that this book, his words to you, are crucial when it comes to abiding in him. Look at what Jesus said in John 15 verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then similarly in his letter that we're looking at in this series, John says it this way. He says, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong. And get this, and the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. And so don't miss the logic here, folks. By abiding in God's word, the already declared truths of who God is that tells you about his mercy, his grace, who Jesus is, how God is, how God works in our life, how your family is supposed to work, how your finances are supposed to function, by knowing this book and following it, he says you are going to know then as you're relating to me, as you're trusting me, exactly who I am and how I function. You're going to know how you can follow me as we've seen obediently and lovingly. In a sense, you're going to know how to walk close with him. But you have to abide in his word. In a very real real way, what we're saying is that our relationship with God is a relationship informed by the word. As Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. And so this is how you and I abide. We realize that Christ abides in us. We carry on a relationship with him, marked more by being than doing. But it's a relationship that is informed and nudged constantly by his word. Three key ways to abide. Three key ways to walk close. Now, one last thing before we wrap up this morning. Uh, When Kim and I were expecting our first child about 20 years ago, there was a wonderful book that helped us tremendously. Many of you have read it as well. It was called What to Expect When You're Expecting. You guys remember that book at all? What to Expect When You're Expecting. And and what this book did for an expecting couple, especially with their first child, is it went through each chapter telling us each month uh, what to expect when to first feel the baby kick, how long the sickness would last, other symptoms, how the baby was progressing and developing at each stage. And it was a great book for high-control people like me to get a handle on what to expect with this first child of ours. And so in a very real sense, what I want to do is wrap up this morning by taking a look at what to expect when you're abiding. In other words, if you buy in today at all, to the fact that your walk with Almighty God can be marked by the fact that He abides in you, that you're more of a human being than a human doing, and the fact that His Word is central. What can you expect as you start to get some traction with those things? And I think you're gonna like this. Here's the first thing, and that is that you can expect joy in the midst of pain. You can expect joy in the midst of what we assume at times in life will be pain. Jesus couldn't be more clear. Look at what he said in John 15, verse 11, in in this exact chapter on abiding. He says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Whoa. His joy in us, to the point that our joy will be full all through abiding. And then just a few sentences later, Jesus would say, in this world, guess what? You're going to have trouble. So we know the pain part's always going to be there. But he says, take heart because I have overcome the world. And that takes us back to this idea that his joy can be in us. So we have joy in the midst of pain, all as a result of abiding. That's what he promises to bring. And then secondly, in the same vein, notice with me that when you abide, you can also expect, and you're going to like this one, confidence in the midst of trouble, or maybe saying it another way, security in the midst of insecurity. And if you want that, confidence in the midst of troubled times in life that you're on the right track and that God is with you and that you're doing the right things, or security in the midst of, let's face it, all of us have these times of insecurity. So again, look at our main text this morning here in 1 John 2, 28. He says, And now, little children, abide in Him, interesting, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. Interesting way to phrase it. We abide in Him so that we might have confidence that we won't shrink when He comes. Now, what's that about? Commentators actually wrestle with that. Some of them say, well, maybe it means that some people weren't walking very close Or aren't going to be walking very close when Jesus comes the second time. So they're going to feel kind of bad or shameful about the fact that they've been caught unready and that they shouldn't because Jesus is with them anyways and they don't need to feel shame. Could mean that. Another thing that commentators say it might mean is just referring to what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back the second time, just in general. And Joel described it this way in the Minor Prophets he called it the great and terrible day of the Lord interesting way of saying it right great and terrible day you're saying why is it great and terrible well it's great because if you're a follower of christ your savior come back for you and he's come back to take you as we're going to see uh and this fall in a series we call future 401 he's come back to to usher in a millennial reign and eventually the end of time and i mean it's, it's going to be a great time for believers but if you're not a believer and follower of jesus it's going to be kind of a terrible time that's why joel calls it the great and terrible day of the lord And so maybe John's referring to that, that that, that if you're a follower of Jesus, there will be no shame on that day because you're going to have confidence as you walk close with Him that He is yours and that you are His. So let that sink in a moment, folks. In the midst of the most troubled times in our lives, in the midst of the most insecure times in our lives, if you and I can somehow learn to walk close, if we can learn to abide, we can have confidence, we can have security, we can have joy, even in the midst... Of pain. It's powerful how this works. I want to wrap up this morning by telling you a story, a true story, about a missionary about 40, 50 years ago and just what God did in her life. Her name was Helen Rosevere. She was a British medical doctor who worked for years as a missionary in Zaire. And during the revolution of the 1960s, she often faced brutal beatings and other forms of physical torture. You see, they didn't care that she was a missionary. They just knew that she was a Western white woman who was there seemingly going against their culture. And so she was the brunt of a lot of persecution back in the 1960s. She was physically tortured. On one occasion, she was even raped. And in one particular incident, when she was about to be executed, she feared that God had forsaken her. I think any of us might fear that. She really wondered at this one time, 20 years into this, during this one time of brutal persecution, if God was really with her, if maybe he was just displeased with something about her life, displeased with something that maybe she had done. We all experience that at times. But in that moment, she sensed the Holy Spirit saying something to her spirit. Listen to what she writes. She says, 20 years ago, the Holy Spirit said this to her, 20 years ago, Helen, you asked me for the privilege of being identified with me. This is it. Don't you want it? This is what it means. These are not your sufferings. They are my sufferings. And all I ask of you is the loan of your body. Interesting. What would you do if God was to say that to you? If he was to say that you wanted to follow me, you knew that I suffered when I was on this earth, but now you're suffering too, and all I ask you for is the loan of your body, your soul will remain intact. That's what Helen heard the Lord say to her in that moment. It so overwhelmed her that she had that experience with God. She sensed God's presence so clearly at that time that after she was delivered, she wrote about this experience with God. And listen to what she wrote. Give me another click here, guys. Look up here on the screen. She said, He didn't stop the sufferings. He didn't stop the wickedness, the cruelties, the humiliation or anything. It was all there. The pain was just as bad. The fear was just as bad. But it was altogether different. It was in Jesus, for him, and with him. Wow. It was altogether different. It was in Jesus. It was for Jesus. And it was with Jesus. I'm telling you, that's what the Christian life is about, folks. God never promised us that he would solve all all of our problems that he would bless us in all the ways that we wanted to be blessed, and that he would take away all of our pain. If you believe that, you're watching too much Oprah. If you believe that, you're reading too many of those books on Amazon.com that are just trying to make money. No, the reality is, is that God makes it very clear that you and I live in a fallen world, and even though we're redeemed in Christ, we are still going to struggle desperately with sin, some of it our own doing, some of it other people's doing, and pain in this fallen world. But there is joy to be found in the journey. There is security to be found in the insecurity, but it only comes from those who have learned to walk close. But when you do learn to walk close, as Helen Roosevelt has taught us, when you learn to hear his still small voice and draw close to him, even in your brokenness, The reality is is that you can realize this is with him and for him and in him and that makes all the difference i I tell you I i would trade just the sense of his presence and of knowing that i'm walking close with him for the good life any day of the week again when i became a christian 30 years ago i gave up all dreams of the good life i really did And I know that's hard for some of you to hear in Scottsdale. You're thinking right now, but I want it both, Jamie. I want the good life and I want Jesus. And you know what? I hope you get that. But listen, only one is promised. (laughs) Only one is guaranteed this side of heaven if you choose it. And that's Jesus and life in Him. The other one's gravy. It's just icing. It might come, it might not. Hasn't the 21st century shown us that? But Jesus is solid, The Bible said he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He always is there for you. He's always there for me. And he's the one that we can rely on. But you got to walk close. you got to learn to abide. So let's wrap up. You abide by realizing he abides in you. Don't ever forget that. Trust that as you go out of here today. You abide by realizing you're not a human doing. You're a human being who's been called to relate to God as your Heavenly Father, draw close to Him in your spirit. Talk to Him more. Read about Him more in His Word. Draw close to Him through others. And then thirdly, allow His Word to be your guide. Don't veer from that thing. Read it and know it. It describes who He is and how He relates to you in this world. Let's pray. Father, if I don't miss my guess, there is not one person here this morning that doesn't desire in the deepest parts of their spirit to have a deeper, more intimate, and abiding walk with you. Lord, we are wired for that, and we're all after that in our lives. And so, Father, I pray that as I'm sure each of us are chewing on something here this morning, mulling through some things, that God, as you did with Helen Roosevelt years ago, that you might speak to our spirits some things that we need to hear today when it comes to how to draw closer to you. Lord, some of us are in a lot of pain here this morning. Some of us are just reeling from things in life that have just taken the wind out of us, they've knocked us off center. And Lord, I pray especially for a person like that, that God, they would realize that whether the pain comes or the pain goes, that they can have joy, they can have security, they can have confidence as they draw close to you. So teach us, Lord, teach them how to do that. Lord, for all of us, remind us that you never give up on us, that your grace is that deep and that real. As Philip Yancey says, grace is like water, it flows to the deepest parts. We pray, Lord, that that will be true for us. We pray these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. We all say together, amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.